Welcome to Talks, a bunch of, well, talks with builders that have things to say about DAOs, Web3, their life, and uh, other things. Today I'm talking to Nick Naragi, aka Ninty Nick. He's a passionate former gamer, and his Nintendo Nick became short Ninty Nick. Working as an alchemist at Raid Guild, Nick founded a DAO called EvenGov, trying to build the playbook for traditional organizations to progressively decentralize into DAOs. He's also passionate about artificial intelligence, which explains why his intellectual curiosity lies in the intersection of DAOs and AI. So, DAIOs taking over the world? Maybe. That's one of the topics we're going to be chatting about. First, however, I have to make, again, a statement requested by our lawyers. Here it comes. The information in this podcast is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. It is not intended to be and does not constitute financial advice, investment advice, trading advice, or any other by the way, if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple or Google or any other platform, consider heading over to talk.dellhas.com. That is talk.dellhas.com. Um, you're getting the exact same podcast that you listen to now, plus an interactive transcript and uh, links to topics, sites, and people. And more talks on this. Let's jump in. All right. Hey, Ninty Nick. It's really Nick, isn't it? What's the real name and what's the story behind Ninty Nick? Yeah, my name is Nick. And Ninty Nick is an old gamer tag, actually. It was, it was, uh, I was on the Nintendo forums and I made my name Nintendo Nick when I was like a little kid. And then I started playing first person shooters in probably like 2007 or so. And Nintendo Nick didn't fit. So I went with Ninty Nick, but then it just became, it just became like my name. Everyone, all of my friends, gamer, gamer friends, gaming clan called me Ninty Nick. And then I hadn't used that name for a long time, but being in Web3, uh, you know, all the stuff that goes back to gaming culture, spending all day in Discord instead of spending all day in Ventrilo, you know, the idea of a guild, shared treasury, you know, like all that stuff really brought me back to those roots. So I felt that it was apt to, to bring the name back to. Very cool. So I know you're in Miami. Um... Did you grow up there where you come from, where you come from originally? And maybe run me through your backstory just a little bit and like the big steps. But, you know, you said, uh, you know, when you were a kid, you played Nintendo. So maybe start there. It's the right connection. But I'm particularly interested in, in you know, how did you get into DAOs? Like, where did you hear about DAOs first? Mm -hmm. What was your first DAO you worked with or you mm -hmm. set up? And... Give me a bit of your DAO story here. Yeah, absolutely. So I I was born in Connecticut. I uh, spent most of my life in, in and around Boston. And then uh, more recently moved to San Francisco for a few years and, and have been in Miami for almost a year and a half. Um, my DAO story starts when I was in Boston. I had been um, helping to host some blockchain events like starting in 2014, 2015. Um, and I went up to, I went up to uh, like a retreat, like just a, a getaway ski house in, in New Hampshire. And I just found the picture of this trip um, with a couple of friends who we went up with. So I know the exact date, it was March 25th, 2017. And uh, a friend of mine, Patrick Deegan and Chris Taylor were telling me about the potential of Ethereum and DAOs. And actually, Patrick was telling me about DAX, Decentralized Autonomous Corporations, and it took about four hours on and off to really get the idea in my head. But um, by the end of it, I was totally, I was totally blown away. I was like, this is this, this is the future. Um, and I was coming from an artificial intelligence background, really bullish on AGI and uh, excited for, you know, 
the different use cases that we might have for artificial intelligence. So the idea of an autonomously operated organization fit, fit really nicely with my interest in that thesis. So that's evolved a lot since then. Um, but I was, I basically was like working in Boston entrepreneurship ecosystem, starting a couple different ventures, commercializing stuff out of academic labs. And, um, I ended up with like basically following along with the, the early tools, like watching colony and Dow stack, watching Aragon and being like, okay, when is it going to be the right time for this? And early last year, i I shut down a venture that I was no longer uh, working on and jumped into like exploration mode to see what, you know, what the next thing to work on would be. And I said, okay, where DAO's at right now? Is this the time to, sorry for the background noise. Uh, is this the right time to jump in and, and work on DAOs? And actually Niran from Panvala hosted this thing called DAO Rush Week. So he's like, you know, exposed to all the different DAOs. Everyone come and present. Um, I saw Raid Guild present. And I'd, been, I'd seen Raid Guild and Meta Cartel from afar. And been like, whoa, these guys are working on something really cool. And their imagery, their meme is really interesting as a former gamer. And, you know, I like the, I like the kind of punk aspect of it. And uh, met some of the people there. I was like, okay, cool. I got this. Is, I got to join. Like, this is, the, this is the spot to be. Um, and I, ended, I, I feel like that was really lucky because I some of my closest friends today and, and the people who I most respect and, and learn from in the space are are part of Raid Guild and Metacartel and Dow House. Um, and I actually Dow House is the Dow platform and the Mollet contracts is the Dow platform that I use the most today. Um, so that, that I felt like that was really lucky. So okay that's that that's that's really cool. First question you said you're coming from artificial intelligence. Are you still doing anything in the field or has this DAO and crypto stuff totally absorbed you? Or are you kind of getting fallbacks of like, ah, I should be doing something or what, you know, is it, is it kind of a dad passion or is it a passion that's alive? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited about artificial intelligence. And I will say that I think that the intersection of artificial intelligence and DAOs is broadly uh, underexplored. Um, it, it seems like it's not quite the right time because it, there's so much early stuff to figure out in DAOs. We're so early with all the all the pieces setting up the setting up the the, the base layers of it. Um, but I, I I will always I think I'll always be really passionate about AI. And the way that I see the intersection unfolding is, uh, you know, decentralized autonomous organization seems to imply. Uh, either that the organization is autonomous uh, relative to like sovereignty in, in, in uh, government jurisdictions or that the uh, it's, it's like algorithmically managed. I actually think that one of the interesting unexplored areas of the intersection of AI and DAOs is uh, having AIs as DAO contributors because DAOs are foundationally aligned with automation so if you're working in a if you're working at a startup say web2 startup and you figure out a way to automate your job uh you might not tell anyone that you did that or if you say you're working in big tech right you work at facebook or whatever and you uh figure out how to automate all of the reporting that you have to do for your job and you work remote i see stories on reddit and, and hacker news and stuff all the time where it's like oh yeah you know i didn't I programmed the bot. I pro finally got a yeah. Slack bot that it has my identity and avatar, and it's doing my job. <laughs> right, and and that's the way the incentives are are played out, right? Because it's a it's a com competitive, it's not an omni win game between the participants and the organization itself. But DAOs, because of the ownership dynamics and the way that token tokenomics allow us to align incentives between participants and other stakeholders, and you know the people who created it. Um, I think is more ripe for automation and because DAOs are are fundamentally software based the 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 inter the the interface to automation is uh much better so if you figure out how to automate your job you might just make a DAO contributor that is able to create value capture some value from the DAO in the same mechanisms that everyone else captures value from the DAO and that actually will uh inspire more and more automation and because DAOs are basically open source, 
those automations will get forked and replicated across other DAOs. So the whole space will evolve as those automations are created. We have to figure out business models that work for that. But that's, that's I think, one of the interesting directions. Yeah, I, I would also say, um, uh, I think it's a very interesting topic um, to go in. And you know, when, when you brought bring this up, I was uh, the first thing I came to um, my mind is um, just just from seeing how DAOs operate, right? Like what is happening, uh, what's happening in the contracts and on the chain, and when not just the amount of you know the size of the treasury goes up or the amount of people but when transactions you know and interactivity really starts flowing and communication is flowing just being able to you know um recognize patterns um and being able to influence you know on more of a macro scale in a DAO, this is i think there's a there's there's some crazy things that can be done or across DAOs, right? And similar to what you just said, um, you know, when you find ways of, you know, uh, extracting value uh, and, and, and you know, doing this and repeating this across different DAOs, I think this is, you know, it's, it's a really interesting layer um, and, uh, you know, something to watch out for where, where, where it's heading. Tell me, so Rate Guild, Rate Guild was the first DAO you joined? Well, it actually took me a while to fully join Raid Guild as a member. Um, that happened officially in December of this year, but I was like in the at the cohort process. Raid Guild has this amazing uh, way of bringing new people into the ecosystem in kind of different layers. So you 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 apply to get in, and then you some people get invited into the cohort process. The cohort process like teaches you how to work in a decentralized organization where you know there's not there's not, there's not, they're leaders, but there's not like people who are the leaders and understanding the different roles and how things get done in discord and how to work with clients, um, in this decentralized fashion. So talk me through this. I'm really interested in this. And I think someone that says, Hey, you know, I'm a writer or I'm a designer and, you know, I, I've been doing gigs on Upwork for the last five years, mm -hmm. and I heard about this thing about you know uh, uh, I heard about this thing about DAOs. I've seen this thing about Rate Guild. You know, I just joined the Discord, but you know, I, I really you know I looked at the, apart from what you can read online. What does this process really look like? Like, what was the experience? Yeah. And, you know, what, what 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 did you take away at these different stages? And what were kind of the aha moments? How how did it start? Let's let's go there. Yeah, I, there's a little bit of um, curse of knowledge, uh, but I'll do my best to, to think back. I think, so first thing is like, you know, a, a UX designer is a ranger and a front-end developer is a warrior, right? So you get into the Discord and you, you're you taking on this different word, different uh, symbol for what your role is in the guild. And the whole thing, Raid Guild is like based on, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, World of Warcraft type of, you know, mythology where we're like getting together to slay your web three demons. You know, that's like what it says right on the website. So it's like, it's kind of, it's fun. And that's a filter, right? That's one of the first aha moments is that that's actually a strong filter for people who maybe don't, don't vibe with that. And I think in DAOs generally, uh, you know, there's the vibing with the people there being like culture aligned uh, is a really important aspect of working well together because we're not getting together in person. We don't have water cooler chats the same way. It's like, we have to do all this over Discord. So it's really important to have people who are values aligned. Um, another aha moment is is just like the people who've been doing, everything is, it, everything is coordination. Everything is can be framed in terms of coordination, the chances of coordination failure and optimizing against that, right? So this whole meme of Moloch, who is, you know, this demon of coordination failure, like trying to defeat Moloch together is about trying to do our best to coordinate and not let uh, game theory or, you know, laziness or, um, you know, poor communication as amongst many other things get in the way of um, doing something together. So 
the amount of effort that experienced guild members put into coordinating well, whether that's like asynchronous messaging or um, just like being on top of things in Discord, knowing how to put together documents, spreadsheets, whatever it is that are each of those as a coordination mechanism, and then having the meta frame that they are intended to coordinate these people who are working various amounts of time with various skill sets, various backgrounds, various roles is uh, that was a huge aha moment to me. And I've taken that into all the DAOs that I've worked on. It's like, okay, we have to, we really have to get this right. And that, that I think is true for a lot of remote work generally, but it's like the difficulties of remote work plus the difficulties of not having a boss or, uh, you know, someone who has ultimate power over that says like, here's what to do, you know, command and control. I love how you how you just put this. I think a lot of people are going to relax. The difficulty of not having a boss. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, very funny. Okay, so you 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 got there. You you know designer. What, what well, you came from AI. Good. But so you put on you know your 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 costume. You know, or you pick up the role. Um, <laughs> And then what happens? Like you standing around Discord and somebody comes or you go like, hey, where do I learn something? Or what what, what happens next? What, what, do you, what do you need to imagine when you do this? Yeah, it's very, you have to be proactive. Like in, in most DAOs today, uh, even the ones that have pretty good onboarding, they're filtering for people who are proactive because those are the people who end up being the most successful, getting things done, uh, creating value. Like there, in that there are no managers, there's not a lot of management capacity in, in DAOs because people are trying to like get things done and the coordination costs are already so high that adding like the management responsibility would, would go even above and beyond that coordination cost. Uh, so um, the cohort program is kind of designed to help people onboard into the DAO and teach them these things. So um, usually like one or two really, really talented and experienced uh, guild members, like will orient that process of 20 to 40 people, run regular meetings that emulate the kind of meetings and processes that happen in the DAO at, as a whole. And then you go through that process, I think it's like maybe four weeks or, or six weeks or something like that. And at the end of that process, if you have completed some substance, you know, some trial projects, basically, um, you know, we, we see the work that you've done, we believe in, in your ability to contribute what's autonomously in the guild. What's a, what's a trial project? Is this something somebody has made up or is this a real customer that you're taking as a guinea pig? Um, most recently, it's been a real customer. So we, we had a, well, basically like a sponsorship from a DAO to come in and, and ask for a bunch of different projects to be done. And the cohort picked up several of those projects and completed them, um, really went above and beyond. Uh, and we're experimenting with that model going forward. Cohort, I think that was the fourth cohort, so season three, and we're winding up for the next one now, but each one is a little bit different. Um, How many I think about 20 to 40 or so. Mm -hmm. So the guild as a whole is about 120 people, I think like 80 to 100 really active people. Um, and one thing I'll say is that uh, people often come into Raid Guild, uh, understand how DAOs work, uh, get paid in in crypto and then like have this aha, like that huge aha moment where you're like, oh my God, this is, I'm actually in web three now. And then some people leave to go join the clients that they've been working with. Uh, some people leave to go start their own uh, web three projects or, uh, you know, just participate less in Raid Guild. And then some people will stay and, and, and work full time in Raid Guild and it's very possible to do that. So it's kind of like, once you're in the guild, you have this variable amount of service work that you can do to for pay as needed as you're working on uh, potentially working on other things. And that's why I think services DAOs are actually the best on ramp for anyone to get into Web3. It's very interesting. I had this, I, I was thinking that at some, some point as well. So when did you, what cohort did you join, you said? I was season one. Okay, you were season one. And how many people were in the cohort? I think our cohort was like maybe 30, uh, oh, I just did the math on this. It was like 36, 35 people, I think. And you have ongoing personal and now work relationship with the people that were in the cohort or? There's you probably about 
17 of them have stuck around. So not everyone makes it through the cohort process. And then even if you do, you might not stick around in Raid Guild. And then uh, of the 17, I would say like four of them I know pretty well now. Okay, very good, very good. And so for somebody that wants to join, you know, again, designer coming in, what is the designer um, role again? Uh, Ranger, yeah. Ranger, good. So I'm coming in, becoming a Ranger. Um, you know, I'm I'm there participating in conversation. I'm getting accepted into the cohort, and then the projects I do during the cohort, like, do I need to dedicate to this like full time, half half of my time? How much? What's reasonable amount of time? Do I actually get paid in that time? Yes. During training. So, what what does that look like? What do I have to imagine here? Yeah. So I think the cohort is maybe like five ish hours a week for six weeks or so. Um, it's paid work. So, I mean, attending the meetings and things is not paid work. It's that's like the onboarding process. But then the actual work you do for clients is paid work. And it Raid Guild as a services DAO is is really uh, committed to like making sure that people get paid well for their work. That's that's something that I saw like in DAO Rush Week when I originally met uh, with the folks from Raid Guild. It was like one of the slides, like no unpaid work. It's amazing. That's that's a great like principle. <laughs> Very good, very good. And then when did you finish your, when was season one over? I think season, I think season one was like maybe last summer around then. So you, once you do the cohort process, you can kind of become a member at any point, um, but you have to do one raid, which is a client project and one rip, which is a raid guild improvement project. It's a, it's a basically an internal project. So I was, uh, I'd been working full-time on other things and hadn't gotten around to completing those requirements until December. And then, then I became a full member. Okay, good. So um, you, you met those requirements and then you became a member. And now um, are you still doing, or will you be still doing work there? Or are you going to help others to get involved? So what's going to be your relationship just to imagine this? What's your relationship to Rate Guild going to be from here forward? Yeah. This so point? my role, my role in Raid Guild is an alchemist, which is roughly speaking uh, a mechanism designer, uh, like someone who works on the DAO and, and the technical governance and, and tokenomic aspects. Um, that's kind of what I do uh, outside of Raid Guild too, as a, as a, as a part of a DAO called EvenGov. Um, but I just, I'm just on the, the group of folks who are talking about the Raid token and how it works and how we can improve its usage and the tokenomics and use it for different experiments. So Raid Guild of, of all the DAOs that I'm in are is one of the is one of the most um, optimistically experimental groups uh, with like running little experiments about how we can use a token. For example, uh, one of the trickiest things to do in uh, any sort of services DAO or any freelancer collective or any consulting organization is to coordinate people's time. So right now, I won't tell all the details because it's in progress, but we're, we're testing out a staking mechanism that helps support people committing to uh, using their time on things and gives them a carrot and a stick to make sure that they complete their commitments, which will hopefully allow us to get the guild to scale some more. Well, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Very familiar with that, um, you know, challenge as well. And it's interesting to use a staking mechanism to approach it. So that's um, very, 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 very interesting stuff. Very good. So for you, Rate Guild was the first DAO that you joined, right? Technically, like, or that you engaged with, you know, and you technically joined now in December to become a member. Um, but was it it was the first one that you actually worked with and where you really actively involved or was there any other before that yeah so there were a couple different things that happened um that were interesting i i helped to start a DAO called the dia which is the decentral intelligence agency it's a meme on the cia and that was about uh curating knowledge about DAOs as a DAO. so trying to create a curation engine and a mechanism that we could use to basically vote on uh, things that should go into a wiki, things that should be retweeted uh, via like the DIA's decentralized Twitter account. Um, and we, we ran into a bunch of coordination failures there, but we learned also a lot about uh, the, the importance and challenges of curation. Um, and we grew, you know, we grew a pretty good size group. Um, 
we're still meeting uh, regularly to kind of share Intel. We talk about, uh, we have the, the Dow, uh, the DIA's Dow Intel rendezvous, which is kind of like where we all get together and say, what's the latest, you know, what are you reading about this thing with syndicate that just came out or, you know, hyperstructures or what are you working on? Like, uh, one of the guys, Spencer Graham's got a, a new framework he's been developing. So like bring that and we'll kind of like jam on it together. Um, that, that was really cool, uh, project. And definitely as like, I think there's a lot more opportunity for uh, curation. I think that's going to be one of the major themes this year. Um, and then I also started a DAO called EvenGov, which is uh, focused on progressive decentralization. So I think there is a need, there are many centralizing forces, uh, and there is a need to create decentralizing forces. Um, so EvenGov is kind of an experiment to attempt to create a decentralizing force um, and a playbook for creating a DAO for an established project. So if you if you have something that's maybe you know already crypto based and you want to make a DAO, you want to start to understand how you can give authorities away to your community responsibly. Um, or if you even if you're not in Web3, thinking about like the long term, as we develop playbooks and understand the technologies, the governance processes, the you know, political uh, aspects of decentralization, the economic aspects of decentralization, imagine that this can be applied to uh, you know, institutions of all sorts, universities, governments. I think we're gonna, I think what we'll see is like, as Web3 takes more and more hold, um, turning things into decentralized organizations is gonna be a necessary part of the ecosystem. There's some things that won't be able to do that and they'll and they'll maybe get eaten by decentralized organizations. There's some things that will start as decentralized organizations so they won't need as much support, but there, there will be centralizing forces. So we might have to decentralize them more. And then there's that middle ground of, uh, you know, basically traditional orgs that will make the jump. And what we're trying to do there is to really build the playbook and build expertise and learn how to do that well. And, and kind of replicate that process. Well, good. Then let's take, I, I'm gonna take advantage of your time here. Let's talk through this because I really like this topic and not only from personal, just because I see, you know, a lot of, um, you know, um, web two SaaS projects, founders, you know, kind of looking at this and going like, how does this actually work? So, you know, take a, take a project like ours, right? So, you know, Grindery is a, um, is a Delaware C Corp. Okay, it's been around for four years. Has three founders. Um, has uh, dragged along a few investors from earlier uh, experiments with other software. Um, then some of the founders have invested, you know, informally money in software development. There's code today. Okay, um, the code belongs to the company at this stage. Um, and we then started experimenting with building blockchain products, right? So we built a payout solution, could be whatever, right? It's an example. Um, and, uh, you know, did this things with the hackathon. So the idea is to obviously have the code be released and so on. And, um, you know, a project like ours is then looking at, hey, do we potentially raise money for this or do we try to stick to grants and bootstrapping longer? You know, how do we decentralize this? What's the first step? What's really important? What should we really watch out with, right? And this is our specific case, but I think it's quite common, likely the starting points in terms of the exact structure are, are different, but how should a project like ours um, go about it? What's the, what, what is kind of the, game plan and feel free to ask questions for me to answer what you need to know in order to lay this out. It's gonna help me, but it's likely gonna help a lot of other people. What's the what's the plan here? Fantastic. Yeah, it's an interesting case study. Let's let's work through it. But my first question is gonna be why do you want to decentralize? Um because I I think that so I'm coming from more of a um I, I come more from a mentality, I would say, from, you know, kind of this web to build it and they will come, right? Um, more very product rather than very community centric. 
however, I do believe that, especially in a space like this, at this moment, um, building great solutions requires, you know, good to label it, you know, in, in, in older terms, again, great customer development. You have to be really on the ground and you need to understand what's happening. It's not, it's really hard to guess. And the more longer I'm there, it's not something you can look at the outside and go to a company website and then figure out the product and contact the guy from BizDev and, you know, make some, some arrangements really all there. And, you know, like if we build, in our case, we built the product for DAOs, we really need to be connected to the DAOs. And I think the decentralization is important in that because it allows us to connect to our own users. Our users need to be the owners of the product and the organization in the end. That's, you know, my, my, my I think that the simplified way of thinking about it. So when you say owner, do you mean like you, it sounds like you really want their feedback actively as uh, to inform the development of the product, but do you actually want your users, customers to be the people who make the decisions about the product? Do you want them to govern the product? I, I, I think that is necessary. You know, I think that's, that's where it has to go. Like that's the, it's the, um, I think there's there's a, a certain reluctance from coming from having an idea and building prototype product and you know kind of having a vision and having an maybe an effective team of moving in a certain direction to going well one thing is what you pointed out is customer development and learning from them but the other part is actually giving the customers, the users, the ability to govern the project, right? So I clearly don't see this as something like that happens like a bang, here it is, you know, and suddenly everything changes. But, you know, I see this as this process of decentralization that ultimately has to get there. That's what I think. It has to because of why? Like what is, what's the reason why it has to get there? Because I think that the 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 users, you know, the users in a in a in a wide sense, the end user who looks at the interface, you know, from different sides, be it you know somebody who receives a payment, be somebody that administrates a, 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 a administrates a DAO and needs to make payments, um, understands much better what problems they have and how they're being solved and I will or any of us will ever be able to understand it, okay? And I believe that the uh, ownership creates the incentive model to contribute that knowledge back into mm -hmm. the project, into the product. Right, yeah, absolutely, I agree. What I'm, what I'm fearful of is like the design by committee problem. So when you have like too many cooks in the kitchen, it's possible that you actually don't make meaningful progress uh, because it's it's hard to get an idea. It's hard to reach consensus. Like there, there'd be a coordination failure there because you, you don't have a way for people to all get on the same page or synthesize the subjective perspectives of all the different stakeholders into an intersubjective perspective that allows for meaningful decision-making. Um, what this brings up for me is uh, in the meta cartel, um, constitution, the manifesto, it's like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. There's, there's a portion of the product development cycle where you need to go fast and maybe it's not alone, but maybe it is a little bit more hierarchical, a little bit more traditionally structured to get to the point where you have, where you're ready to decentralize because you already have something that's of substance and whether that you call that product market fit, or you call that uh, basically like a, a, a meaning, something that's a meaningful value add that it actually attracts community members into the, into the community. Like if you don't have anything, then you're basically betting on the, the meme, the brand, the team's credibility for people to join and hope that something of substance will come. But if you have a working product, then people will come and participate because they're getting value from the product. How did you get from zero to product before you get to the point where people are attracted to that product? And, and 
one thing that I might advocate for is trying to get to that point, uh, however, and by whatever means possible, even if you're not already decentralized. So that goes along on how I would think about it as well. Um, you know, if, if I look at different ways of operation, I would say, you know, um, traditional tech startups with three founders or two founders and a team of five people are likely very good and highly productive in, you know, closing the doors and the windows and, you know, getting shit done over a few weeks and, you know, spitting out a product and then go see what happens, right? So this, the, from getting from there, which is the clear, I think, starting point and the right, in my mind, the right organizational kind of structure um, is clearly, you know, looking forward into the future to some point, whenever that is, where it's a really decentralized organization, right? Like the question is then, and this is the one for you, you, the question is where do you think in a in in a project like in a software project ours how would you detect that the point of you know taking a step towards decentralization um has been reached and what are mm -hmm. then those steps are they are they unique to every project there's logically obviously some uniqueness to it or are there things that you think are very common or should be very common in on this journey yeah so the criteria of of, a, of at even go who we would look to partner with is that they have an established product they have an established community around that product and those people are actually ready to take on some amount of responsibility um that that's actually one of the hardest parts of decentralization in my view especially if you started centralized is getting to the point where people are willing to spend time and effort and attention on creating deliverables, creating, you know, doing actions on behalf of the DAO. Um, and usually that, that, that means that we start, like one of our first things that we implement is some sort of contributor compensation program. that will look like grants programs, bounty programs, ways of uh, rewarding contributors for their participation in DAO and actually getting things done. Um, but if you don't have that, then you're basically asking people to take on responsibility without um, without reward or with implicit rewards, non-financial rewards, non-governance non rewards. Uh, one thing worth mentioning there is like a, a token, uh, which is usually a, a, an essential part of decentralization, is primarily used for two things, right? It's it's either ownership in the, the platform and the economic upside that comes with that, or it's governance power, the ability to actually have some control over decision making. And I don't think that you necessarily need to launch a token right away in your avenue, your your pathway of decentralization. But it's the those two factors are the things to consider as you're trying to create incentives for people to do work, for example. Do you think, um, you know, from what you've seen and, um, you know, worked on, um, if you, if you would leave everything you're doing today, you would say, hey, you know, I want to start a completely new project and I'm going to put all my time into this um, in, in Web3. Would you start with an approach of like kind of lock in a room, build product with a small team and decentralize afterwards? Or would you start with the project today and say, hey, if you've got a great idea before building anything, maybe start focusing on com build community first, right? Yeah. Which way would you start? That's a that's a great question. Um, the the memes on Twitter would have you believe to start you know to start community first. I think that that's really viable. Um, I think DAOs foundationally have three components: the community, the meme and the mechanism, whatever coordination mechanisms, technological mechanisms you're using to actually manage your shared resources. And uh, community is a great place to start because when you have shared values, you have culture, you're vibing together, you trust one another, um, there, there's great things that can come from that. Uh, the meme is like the brand. I think a lot of places start there. There's a lot of really amazing marketing uh, in the Web3 space. Um, 
personally, I come from a product background. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur, founder, and try to start build technologies. Um, I, I'm biased toward uh, mechanistic DAOs. I'm, I'm actually really curious about, as a tangent, I'm really curious about DAOs that are purely mechanistic. So I would argue that like Bitcoin and Ethereum are mechanistic DAOs, mining, mining rewards, even staking. These are like ways that people coordinate massive actions and share and share resources, such as the, um, I'll steal from Spencer again here, the, the shared resource of the unified state of the Ethereum, the EVM, that that, that has uh, the, the game theory of all of the people who are participating and, and like the, the market attack costs, the network attack costs associated with that. A anyway, um, I'm really interested to put together mechanisms that would allow us to um, coordinate toward particular outcomes that we're trying to achieve. To answer your question directly, um, I'm, I think I'm about, I, I might just, I might do this soon. And the way that I'm thinking about it is kind of like uh, working in public. So it's community building while community building via doing great work. So saying, Hey everyone, we're, our team works in discord We're you can come and, and watch us work. If you want to, we're going to publish some stuff on Twitter, but uh, if you want to follow along, just like jump in here and, and we'll ping you every once in a while and maybe you'll mute the discord and you'll miss out. But this is kind of like what we're doing. Um, and I think I, got that model from like the Rome community, um, some of the other like personal knowledge management tool developers on Twitter. That That's always been really impressive to me, this idea of uh, like just working with the garage door open and seeing the serendipity that unfolds and also having this, this sort of informal accountability uh, of uh, constantly having people relating to your work in different ways. Um, it also prevents one of the biggest challenges that I face personally, and I've seen many entrepreneurs, uh, founders, DAO summoners face, which is uh, waiting too long to to put your your thing out there uh, because you're worried it's not perfect or whatever. Like waiting too long to launch, I think it's like a very cliche but very real uh, problem. And if you're working in public, you've already launched, so you you don't have that challenge of oh hey you know this is the next this is the next release or we should wait until it has this next feature. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> it, uh, it just made me laugh. I think, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs in general, um, you know, I would include myself. Um, I think, you know, what you just said, um, maybe you have the experience that they, uh, entrepreneurs are great um, in finding excuses of not launching something or not going out or raising money, right? Like, it's also good, like, no, we just need to complete the product feature mm -hmm. here. I need to update the deck. Um, you know, I need to talk to this person. I need to have to sort of. And when I have all these things ready, then you know I can mm -hmm. do the next thing, whatever that is. Like, right? like then we're gonna announce it, or then I'm gonna go out and sell it, right? Like it's always an excuse, kind of like that you can come up with not doing. And I, I like the idea of this um, uh, building in public um, as as something that you know I had. Um, uh, I'm. Uh, goes through my head quite a lot in, in our other business, right, and in, in, in inbound labs, because it's five different agencies and it's whatever, 100 people that work there and go in and out. Plus there's like at least 5X the amount of customer users. We're all on Slack. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in the middle somewhere between building in public and um, uh, building behind closed doors because Slack is not totally open so it's not just that anyone can join um it's also has you know the channels and if you don't know the channels so you just have a guest user you can't get in um but i you know it has already this thing about connect customers connecting between each other and customers mm -hmm. connecting with hubspot and like it's, it's it's all over the place and um I, I like this idea um to you know go and look at this under this built in public and open this up a little bit further, which doesn't necessarily mean anyone can come out from the outside at this point, but at least opening it up for all the people to say, because it's a community of, it's a community of, you know, I think there's a thousand users in Slack and they, they don't see each other really. Like they work together, mm -hmm. which is good. And you need to keep the noise levels down, but there's so much interesting things to do by opening it up and, you know, creating something around it. So, 
um, I, I like this as a as a you know uh, hands-on recommendation of thinking um, how how to decentralize stuff. I think if I would take something away from the short conversation we're having, and if anybody would ask me um, you know how to go about it, and I would say maybe you know open your doors and um, you know be as transparent and you know fluid with the environment as possible. I think that's a Good idea. Would you would you agree on that being a, a, a good step for anyone who's working in the space? If you're starting a DAO as a decentralized thing, then I think that's a, that's one possible smart mm -hmm. approach. Um, you know, building community, kind of creating this vortex of more and more people that get pulled in, um, and giving them meaningful onboarding and, and ways of participating and connections to one another to cultivate trust and really build the network. Um, if you're starting with an existing project and seeking to decentralize it, which is what we do at EvenGov, then it needs to be a little bit more careful because what you're really doing is you're, give, you're identifying your list of authorities that exist in your ecosystem. So different things that you have power control over and picking ones that are low risk to delegate to specific community members and testing if that, if that works. Um, and that's this process of, you know, progressive decentralization. Um, that one is a little bit riskier, but in those cases, you have, uh, you often have a, an existing community of hundreds or thousands of people who already participate around your product. So it's, it, it, in a sense, you already have some fluidity to the, you know, connection to the outside world. It's really just a question of the, the inner the inner concentric circles there. How are you pulling more people in from community member to DAO contributor and uh, giving them uh, authority, responsibility, trust, and incentives? Very good. Nifty Nick, I know you have a hard stop and I want to respect that. There's uh, obviously a lot of um, uh, conversations that can be continued from here and that will when I come back to that. Um, Last question for you. Um, you know, when I talk to people you know, that work in the space, um, and people that don't work in the space, and I'm kind of in between, like all of us, I guess, a little bit in between. And I have business partners that are, you know, part of it, and I have business partners that are not not yet part of it. But you know, there's always this, you know, concerns about obviously, um, you know, it's all a pyramid scheme, which is like, you know, people, it's fine. And it, it, it's also in many ways valid. For example, um, uh, Will Rudick from um, Community Currencies who runs this really cool project in Kenya, my, one of my favorite blockchain projects. Uh, he is hypercritical of all, most of the layer one projects in the sense of like, basically we just wrote a blog post a few weeks ago. It said, uh, you know, they all eat, all say, selling um, bad bus tickets. You know, it's the, the gas token tickets. This is all sooner or later collapsing and it's it, it's no good for the future. There's a lot of centralization of power. And centralization of power obviously leads to, you know, um, as a topic to, you know, well, we can all build this Web3 and, um, you know, build this amazing blockchains. However, we could all end up um, in a world that is technically decentralized, but where power becomes absolute, right? Like where every mm -hmm. transaction, every cent, every payment is tracked, identified, pinned to somebody. And, you know, with that comes the possibility of total control through, you know, financial, which is, you know, obviously high risk. Mm. Um, what do you think the future will be? Well, I'll say emotionally, my reaction to that is definitely fear. And I know that fear um, contorts my thinking. So I'll say uh, it, it, it is definitely scary to think about a world where there is that level of control. And I, I really hope that we don't end up there. I think that um, to respond to some of your points, uh, there is quite a bit of centralization as, uh, and trust basically in the centralized actors in some of the layer ones. Um, that's definitely something that needs to be looked at carefully. It's not my area of expertise, um, but in terms of decentralization, that's something I think that people who are working on similar playbooks and templates are, will, will help with. Um, uh, everything is a pyramid scheme. I would say the optimistic lens on that is 
how does knowledge, how does information travel through a graph? I think of, I think of almost everything we do as uh, networks and graphs, nodes of individuals and DAOs and collections of people and relationships between them. So uh, how, what's the most efficient way for information to travel through a graph? Uh, and how does, how does it naturally spread? Uh, and I think there's a lot of biomimicry approaches and looking at nature, we can see like how these things tend to happen. Um, and then what do I think the future holds? Um, I'm generally very optimistic. Uh, that might be a bias that um, prevents me from seeing some things. So I have friends, supporters who, who challenge me on that, which I appreciate. Um, but I think, you know, I think we're going, we're creating a, a very large global decentralized mesh that we'll all be able to participate in where we can uh, locally find our tribes of people who share our values um, deeply, not just because we happen to live in the same place or because we share one activity, but we have many activities that we, we care about. We have many values that we share. We're able to orient with those people um, and have our needs met. I, I think that we have an abundance of resources in the world. We're getting to an abundance of distribution with incredible supply chains. And I think we're getting to, we'll get to more fairness of distribution um, with the solutions that are coming out of the Web3 space. Primarily, I think one of the biggest challenges to solve, and I think it's, it's on the precipice of being solved, is the tragedy of the commons, the negative externalities that come from our existing capitalistic game theory. And I think we'll, we're basically evolving to the next phase of capitalism, evolving to the next phase of incentive structures. And uh, I'm really, really excited for, um, for what could happen if we solve uh, the tragedy of the commons, basically. That's, that's my, that's my biggest excitement. Will we, uh, yes or no, 10 years from now, will we be in a better place? I, I like I said, I'm an optimist, so I say yes. Very good. Nifty Ten next. years, yes. There's a trust. Thank you for your time. Um, that was excellent. Yeah. Much appreciated. And um, I'll let you go and pick up on the next call. Thank you, Tim. It was a real pleasure. Take care.